Hello, and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Today on the program, we highlight the global economy and capital markets. Canada remains one of the top destinations for global investors. So is Canada a capital flight or a capital flow jurisdiction? Joining us on the show is one of the country's leading securities lawyers in mergers and acquisitions, Walid Solomon. He discusses trends shaping Canada's capital markets and where investors can potentially find opportunities. Looking at the current state of M&A activities, Walid explains that while there might be a noticeable ebb in formally announced mergers and acquisitions, this doesn't necessarily imply reduced engagement. The most adept managers and boards, he says, continue to actively explore strategic possibilities. Turning to the direction of cash flows over the next five years, Walid tells host Pamela Ritchie that opportunities beyond India and emerging economies should be considered and emphasizes the importance of investing in North American opportunities. This episode was recorded on August 15th, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. I wonder if we begin, we'll get into the landscape for M&A, all of the things that you have within your expertise. But I wouldn't mind just getting your thoughts, first of all, and sort of broadly how you see the Canadian economy shaping up. This is whether we have somewhat of a more optimistic or, or a more pessimistic. We know the inflation numbers came in. Not awesome news because it means the rate height story could come back with some version of a vengeance. But, you know, how do you see things out there? Let me start off by just saying, you know, this is such an important broadcast that you run because, you know, Fidelity Advisors are really at the front lines of advising uh, uh, you know, retail and institutional investors across this country and really setting the tone. And so making sure that they're getting the tone right is so incredibly important. I can tell you that I am an optimist. You know, it's amazing reading the minute by minute updates coming out this morning on the StatsCan report on inflation. And, and, you know, there's a doom and gloom view to it. I wrote my partners on January 1st of this year and said, look, if you're 45 years of age or older, which many of our partners are, most of our partners are, if you're 45 years of age or older, you've lived through the tech crisis, you've lived through 9-11, you've lived through the 2008 financial crisis, you've lived through the pandemic, you've lived through all sorts of ups and downs, and there's been a consistent, consistent theme through all of that, which is we've bounced back stronger. And so I believe Western economies are resilient. We have heard the story of it's all over consistently. And I'll tell you, the smartest CEOs and the smartest investors that I know in Canada and in the Western world are doubling down in this economy. Wow, that is fantastic. And that's so interesting to hear because doubling down, let's go straight into m and I mean, here we are 
at, we think at the end of a rate raising, rising cycle, but we don't really know, particularly after this morning's release. So what are company management getting ready to do? They kind of know at this stage, uh, well, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but company leadership knows at this stage if they are going to be in major trouble or not, or in fact, they're sort of on the acquisition side of things. So give us a sense of what what is known at this point. Yeah. You know, uh, one of the remarkable things about the role I get to play, meeting with boardrooms and meeting with managers uh, across the country, is you really get a sense of what are the best run companies in this country? What are the most thoughtful companies in this country? And, I, you know, it's, we're very, very fortunate for a small country like Canada to have as many great head offices, as many great companies listed at the top of the TSX, you know, a number of very thoughtful managers out there. And I can tell you, in those organizations, none of them, not one of the great organizations in this country, are people making decisions on strategic investments based on three or 400 basis points of additional debt cost per animal. That is just not how it works. I've read, I read all the articles, oh gosh, it's become a lot more expensive to do deals. I know very, very few managers who do strategic transactions, whether it's a hostile bid or a, uh, a tuck-in transaction where they're looking to just make, you know, six, seven percent year over year. And the interest rate decision is what is going to be making their decision. So thoughtful managers are out there and they understand the cost of debt has resulted in some reduction in purchase prices, has resulted in less activity on the uh, private equity front, and that there are good opportunities out there. I think those managers should be rewarded by investors. I think those managers should be applauded by investors. And for that reason, we are not seeing a slowdown in, in M&A activity. We may be seeing a slowdown in announced M&A activity, but the best, best managers and the best boards in this country are looking at strategic opportunities just as they have before and are doubling down, again, I use that word, on ensuring that they're not missing the train. Does that mean they're increasing? Oh, absolutely. I, the, the, the number of announced deals are obviously down, but the number of deals that go to diligence in our firm, the number of calls that we have with managers who are still willing to pay really great premiums because they see the exponential type returns available to their, to their entities is still quite strong. Let me pivot for a second to one of your other hats, one of your other roles, very important capital markets modernization, the task force that you were on. We've talked about it here. It's bringing, bringing capital markets into the 21st century has been you know, something that a fair amount of power and thought obviously has gone into. How's it going? <laughs> well, look, I'll make a bunch of observations. First off, um, these uh, task forces, uh, committees are all part of an iterative process. We have already one of the best capital markets in the world. The reason that we have as many fidelity advisors as we do across this country is because there is confidence in the capital markets by investors, and there are rules by which issuers play by. And that unique combination allows for fidelity advisors to go out there and bring on clients and make investments for both institutional and retail shareholders. By the way, and I pause there for a second, and I always like to remind this to capital markets participants in Canada, that is an incredible, incredible, incredible privilege and blessing. There are, most of the world uh, does not have uh, the type of regulatory regime 
that we have that enables uh, the kind of strength of a Fidelity in Canada that that uh, that Fidelity advisors are able to go out there and engage with retail investors on. So uh, we have. Can you count that on your on your on your hands, pretty much, like the number of countries? Okay, so we'll take Europe as a uh, one thing, just for the purposes of this. So Europe, Australia, Canada. I mean, could you count them on your hands, actually, genuinely? A hundred percent, Pamela. You know, uh, I, I am I'm quite conscious of there wouldn't be on a per capita basis the number of fidelity advisors in the country my parents came from, which is Egypt. Uh, there wouldn't be the same number of fidelity advisors on a per capita basis in many parts of Europe, let alone you know other sort of second and third world countries. Having said that, our system needs to keep up. One of the things I liked saying when I was running the modernization task force is Ontario had a securities statute before the SEC first enacted, enacted a statute in the early 1900s. What year was that? Uh, it was the, it's the 1923 statute. When you compare that, the Ontario Securities story, um, Commission's story is, is sometimes we'll complain in Canada, we don't have a national regulator and, you know, we'll spend lots of time on figuring out exactly what that means or doesn't mean. But in any case, it's a safe place to invest. And I'll, I'll let you take it away from there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And look, I wish we had a national regulator. We don't have a national regulator. You know, I don't think that there is uh, anything that's going to change that in the short term. Having said that, I am quite confident that the report and the effort that we put in uh, as part of an iterative process is going to result in some great changes in our capital markets that are going to strengthen our capital markets going forward. That's great. It's amazing on that. So, so you mentioned it kind of there. Let's talk about an actual investor with an amount of cash, an amount that they are absolutely must put to work outside their own country. They have some choices. Why do they choose Canada? Look, it, it's, uh, it is, it, we've got, uh, uh, you know, a lot more head offices here than, you know, we're 2% of the world's uh, economy, but we have an outsized number of head offices where, you know, Fidelity advisors are, are you know, able to run into the CEOs or the head of investor relations and, and your teams are actively engaged and actually have a real understanding of the personalities uh, and, and what it is that we're actually, uh, you know, seeing out there. Um, and, and that is, uh, that is a real advantage. And so I think that we are going to see more investment into Canada. We're going to see your advisors busier over the, uh, over the coming, uh, years. Um, but, but, and I always like to warn my friends in the regulatory community, we cannot get complacent. Uh, we were the first. Uh, but that doesn't mean that uh, others can't catch up to us very quickly. And we need to be very, very careful of that. Take us through the government's stance on M&A in this country right now, and, and maybe pointing specifically to the international piece of it throughout the commodity super cycle. There are lots of international transactions of Canadian companies, and we know many of them. Is it still an open door? And what are, what are, the, what are the pros and cons to that? I mean, there are pros and cons to that. I am very conscious when advising um, uh, international uh, 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 M&A participants in Canada that um, that that we also have to be careful about the hollowing out of our economy. We cannot allow Canada to become a branch plant uh, uh, economy. Uh, that, that is something that we have to fight back fiercely. And I think that uh, there are two ways of doing that. The first is we need to ensure 
that the stage is set here in Canada for the next Barrick, for the next Shopify, for the next BlackBerry. We need to ensure that um, everything is in place uh, to allow uh, both entrepreneurs and investors to succeed in, in this space. The second thing that we need is for mat more mature companies is a real uh, national competition uh, and antitrust strategy where we ensure that Canadian investors have the benefit of global synergies, but at the same time that we don't lose our champions. Um, look, one of the great M&A transactions that I love in this country was the creation of Nutrien, um, you know, through the merger of PCS and Agrium. Um, it, was a, it was a beautiful transaction. And the reason it was beautiful, it was it created a Canadian champion. Uh, and that Canadian champion um, uh, is in the long run going to be one of the uh, you know, greatest uh, in its space in the world. Uh, we need more of that. We need to encourage more of that. And uh, uh, we need to be very watchful of the number of head offices that are leaving Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal, Calgary, and other, and other cities across this great country. There have been either family-owned or sort of majority family-run companies, listed companies, that, that are transitioning. There have been activists in there. There have been activists in there uh, rallying for, for change at the top. Has that finished? Oh, no. Activism forms a very large part of my practice. I, I defend companies and act for activists. Our firm, Norton Rose Fulbright, has been ranked by Bloomberg as the leading firm on both measures, both acting for defense and, and fighting, going after companies. Canada is the most shareholder activist friendly jurisdiction in the Western world. That is a wonderful, wonderful thing that enables and Fidelity, you know, Fidelity has a, a huge internal group that just deals with how to vote in these proxy fights. I, I don't know if any of your guys have, uh, folks have listened to it, but it's a fascinating group. One of the most mature groups really in the world is at Fidelity right here in Canada and the United States. And what that enables is it gives confidence to investors that every accretive opportunity will be engaged in by management teams and boards because, because the threat of a fidelity voting in favor of an activist who is looking to make thoughtful change is very real, is very real. And in fact, fidelity does when it, when it makes sense and there's a mature activist in, in there trying to make a change. This is a very positive thing in the Canadian capital markets. A lot of boardrooms hate it. And I defend a lot of those boardrooms and I know they hate it. But I think it creates a, a level playing field in a smaller economy like Canada that is quite important for us to sustain. It goes back to the capital markets strength, modernization, I guess, is part of it, but just sort of the strength of the capital markets itself. I wonder if we can shift into, again, going back to how we started, where we are in the economy, where we are perhaps in cycles. Take us through the M&A cycle a little bit. When things slow, when things speed up, you've mentioned there's a, a double down at this point for opportunities by, by management. When will we see those announced? And I know you're not going to tell us blow by blow when we're announced, but is, is there a tipping point in the cycle is really what I'm asking. The tipping point uh, for both private equity and managers is uh, always when uh, the opportunity has actually just passed and they want to play catch up. And it becomes very apparent to everybody in the market. It's one of the reasons I love every M&A transaction that I see announced these days, because I, in my mind, whether it's a private equity transaction, a strategic transaction, a, a financial transaction, there's somebody who is 
thoughtfully making a bet. And, you know, at the end of the day, I like to remind private equity managers, I like to remind managers and issuers, that is what they are paid to do. They are paid to make thoughtful bets. Um, some, some think that their job is to, uh, you know, simply preserve the status quo and just carefully, um, uh, carefully, uh, you know, pivot to the next CEO. And I can tell you the most senior issuers in this country, uh, like RBC, for example, uh, they are still, you know, they, as we know, they, in this difficult economy, have done the HSBC deal. That's not a deal that anybody who's a senior person at RBC needed to, to do. It was a deal that they did and that I believe is going to pay huge dividends for them in the future. Very interesting. Lots of, lots of interesting sort of tenants out of that. So there's a question here actually talking a bit about what proxy battles are. And it's important for, for everyone to understand sort of how they come about what the beginning stages of that are and, you know, just describe it a bit so an advisor could tell their client. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there, there is actually, um, there are actually advisors who, who, who just follow um, uh, or who follow proxy battles across North America very carefully because of the, you know, really great track record um, that, uh, that, uh, that usually ends up uh, being the output of a proxy fight. First of all, what is a proxy fight? Um, a proxy fight is when uh, uh, a shareholder or a group of shareholders have a thesis for uh, a, 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 an investee company, an issuer, that the company does not wish to advance uh, and uh, that results in basically a referendum among the shareholders between the thesis advanced by uh, the activist or group of activists and management. That's basically a proxy fight. Um, you know, some have this view that it's some nasty name calling thing and stuff. Of course, there are those types of proxy fights. Those are in the minority. The really great proxy fights are, are fights of very of different theses, of different visions for the company. Um, and it's always fascinating to watch them, uh, Pamela. Uh, and, uh, you know, I always tell boards, if you really don't believe, if you really don't believe in the thesis being advanced by an activist, fight them and tell your story. Um, there's no need to go out and say they're a bunch of scumbags. That's not how it works. What really works is here's our plan for the company. Here's why the breakup of this company doesn't make sense. Here's why, uh, uh, you know, borrowing money and increasing the dividend at this time does not make sense. Um, uh, but I always warn boards, you better be sure that, you know, you've gone and talked to Fidelity and others and made, and, and made absolutely certain that your vision is, is the one that's going to be acceptable or you're going to find that you're going to lose. Talking a little bit, again, about the, the Canadian landscape, the, some of the great companies that you mentioned. This question is, do you think that there are too many big companies in Canada from a, from a competition sort of law standpoint? Uh, you know, the banks will be referred to as, as having sort of a monopoly type system. I mean, wh what do you say to that? So um, it's a complex issue. First of all, we, we do have hundreds uh, of, of smaller issuers. Uh, they are bigger bets in there. They're, 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 tough, uh, they're tough investment decisions uh, for fiduciaries. Um, uh, but, but we do have lots of smaller companies. On the larger companies, you know, you get two perspectives. On the one hand, uh, you know, RBC and, and the other banks are very big here in Canada. But on the world stage, they're still uh, pretty small. Uh, and they certainly are, do, not, do not count in the largest. Um, and, and that's something that 
uh, that we got to be conscious of because if we want to create more global champions that are out of out of Canada, we you know size size does matter. Um, so I think the solution is in regulation, um, and it's ensuring that the size of these issuers that is necessary to compete on the global stage uh, does not impact how um, uh, retail uh, participants are, are, are treated uh, here in Canada. And I think that's something that our regulators are, are quite conscious of, um, uh, but it's something that we need to, 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 to keep at it. Otherwise, as Fidelity Advisors, you're going to find that, you know, you're investing in a lot of companies on the New York Stock Exchange, on the London Stock Exchange, and very, very few here in Canada. And that's not something we want either. Your bio says you're involved in some wonderful initiatives. The UN, fascinating, sick kids, close to my heart. Better diversity is what I want to ask you about in the capital markets. Are you seeing it? Is it happening? Yeah, the answer is absolutely yes. I, I think that there is a great deal of changes from a diversity perspective in law firms and investment banks among your advisory community. And look at, I, I think we all have a responsibility in this area. Look at if you're 40 or 45 years of age or older, many of us did not know about some of the terrible things that have happened to Canadian uh, indigenous, uh, native Indian indigenous communities in this country. Now we know definitively, and it's heartbreaking, and it's tragic. And I think we need to go beyond just reading about it in the newspapers. You know, what is it that each of us are doing to, to go and actually recruit somebody from the Indigenous community, to go and actually recruit a person of color, a Black Canadian? You know, I've been involved with the, the Black North Initiative, which has just done incredible work in this country. And, you know, ensuring that, that, that our teams are reflective of that is, is a great thing. At Norton Rose, as a, as a, as a partner who's responsible for files coming in, one of the charts that is front and center, right beside my personal economics and every partner's personal economics is how many women are working on your files at any given time. And it is a really wonderful thing because it's just a little pie chart. It's just a little pie chart, and, and all it just demonstrates to you as a leader, as a person who's working on files is, ah, you know what? I subconsciously, notwithstanding that I've got all these great women, I subconsciously have, have pivoted in, in, in a direction that I need to pivot uh, away from. And it's, that's, it's not to say people are bad. It's just to remind folks. And gosh, Pamela, it has been working great. So I'm a real optimist on diversity in Canada. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. I, I think we have such a great country. It just gets better and better uh, in so many ways. I wanted to ask you, just kind of going back to this idea of, of Fortress North America, there, there are some fund managers actually that will join, join us on this show that will say, you know, it's a, it's a good way to invest. They're looking at it, you know, from their perspective of managing a portfolio. But just kind of leave us off with how Canada ultimately from a legal, from a place where dollars would flow into, how do you think it's going to shape up over the next five years? Should we be investing in our companies here because they're, they're going to do great things on this front? Or what do you think? I think I, I, I am a believer in Canada. I'm definitely a believer in, in the United States. I absolutely would double down in what some of your, some of your speakers have called Fortress North America. I would appropriately, and you know, again, Fidelity is just one of the great leaders in the world on research in these areas, you know, forgetting about India or forgetting about, you know, some of the other uh, great uh, emerging economies in the world, 
is something that would be, I think, regrettable in any portfolio. And so identifying those right opportunities and making sure that you're in them and in them to, to a degree that is safe and, and appropriate is something that I certainly look to in, in my own portfolio that shouldn't be forgotten. It's been fabulous getting your views on so many different topics and so many different parts of our capital markets. We'll watch for all those announcements that you apparently are working on. I can't wait to hear the announcement cycle uh, kick in and we'll, we'll think of you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Pamela. And thanks to the Fidelity community for having me. Thanks for joining us here today. We'll see you soon. I'm Pamela Ritchie. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.